This program is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication, which is comprised of five schools, each offering a variety of majors and programs for students who want to pursue communication-related careers. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Chris Volpe. He is CEO of Multivarious Games, headquartered in Columbus, Ohio. He also is co-founder of the Ohio Game Developer Association. Today, Chris talks about the business of gaming and why it's ripe to develop in the heartland and not necessarily on the coasts. He also talks about how games can be developed for healthcare purposes. His company recently created a therapy game for Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus. Chris, start off and and just tell us a, a little bit about uh, your organization, first of all, your your private business, and then also I want to hear about the state organization. We have Multivarious, which is a game and app company. That's what I always say. But really, we're trying to be the front face and leader for the industry here in Columbus and Ohio. So we make games and apps. We make our own products, um, whether that's a mobile app or, or a website or whatnot. Then we also do uh, GDEX, which is a annual expo. It's happening at the end of this month, um, www.thegdex.com. And then we also do client work. So we work with a lot of different clients, traditionally larger clients. Uh, that'd be like Nationwide Children's Hospital, Battelle, OSU. We work on a variety of things in education, in healthcare, finance. So those are kind of like the three pillars of things that we do. But our ultimate goal is to really put um, Ohio on the map as a place for game development, to to create an industry here so that we can keep people, draw people, and and really help to build a entrepreneurial small business community. There's also an Ohio Game Developers Association, Mm -hmm. and and you were one of the co-founders of that uh, just uh, if you could, in a paragraph, tell us what that does. Yeah, so that is um, really – it's, it's kind of like an educational company. I, I don't want to say it's an advocacy uh, group for the industry, but really what we try to do is um, educate both people on the development, the design, and, and creating games and apps, and at the same time also educate uh, the population on what the game industry even is and how it can be – a major driving force in uh, the state. I want to go back to to your company and and what you do. Uh, I understand that uh, you are an alumnus of the Ohio State University, yeah. and uh, what, but with a master's in in public health. Uh, now, if somebody would just look at your LinkedIn or look at, at a resume going public health to gaming, public health to gaming, uh, do they connect? Yeah, so that's, that's a common question I get. Uh, I actually am a three-time alumni of The Ohio State University. Wow. I have a bachelor in fine arts and photography. 
Then I have a master's in public health, like you said, uh, actually with two specializations, um, and then a master's in health administration. So I was in healthcare for about seven years uh, previous to this, and um, I try to look at I try to look at education a little bit differently. Um, obviously, by my background, I must be doing it. Uh, I'm definitely not a model to follow in terms of efficient time in school, <laughs> being at OSU for 13 years in a, a lot of capacities. But yeah, I, I think they all do connect. My my time in art school, I think, has given me a design eye and a way of sort of looking at at problems and trying to uh, create, you know, creative solutions to those problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, m- being in healthcare has sort of brought about a lot of sort of technical challenges, a lot of understanding of larger systems, uh, even some design thinking. And how do you create, for example, a environment where a patient is able to interact with providers in a meaningful and productive way so that the physician can get the information they need, the patient can get the information they need, and that person's like in and out the door without being there for like five hours. You know, I, right. I had a car accident a few years ago. I was in the ER, I think, for about six hours. Um, plenty of time for me to take a nap in the room, even <laughs> though I probably had a concussion. Um, but I, I think all of these, all of these challenges, all these things that I've done – uh, have blended together in an ability for me to connect a lot of weird pieces. Uh, and I mentioned, you know, on our, on our client si- uh, services side, we do probably about 60% of our business right now is in healthcare. So just at a base level, I've been able to sort of have that ability to have a conversation with providers and hospitals and sort of speak on their language and Healthcare is filled with all sorts of acronyms and stuff. So I'm able, sure to, I'm, I'm able to kind of like dance with those. Um, and I think that's been really helpful. But I think ultimately, if you are interested and passionate about something, you can apply those lessons learned into virtually anything you do. The idea of gaming and the idea of the business of gaming, uh, two different skill sets? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, it's, it's sort of like the difference between being a football spectator, coach, and league owner. They're, they're all different skill sets. It's sure. just around the love of a, you know, a singular thing. Um, and, I, and I think that's where I've, being a sort of gamer since I was you know, four, uh, I, I really understand you know, games, what people love about them. And then going back to uh, the hospital administration side, like that was all about running a hospital. And most of those skills, whether you're running a giant hospital or running a small business, those are transferable skills. So I felt I was at least able to get maybe a little bit of a heads up when starting my own business, um, which is always a very tricky, tricky area. But but I think that the industry is large enough in just talking about the, the business of mm-hmm. games being over a hundred billion dollar industry this year globally. One hundred like, billion. Billion, yep. And just for those keeping score out here in, in podcast land, uh, that's bigger than music and movies combined. So the movie industry is about forty billion, maybe forty five by the end of this year. Music's about fifteen to eighteen billion globally. So you're talking almost double the size. And that doesn't even count virtual reality, which if you consider its own segment, uh, a lot of estimates are putting it around seventy five billion by twenty twenty one. It's about seven or eight billion right now. So I mean, that's a huge growth trajectory if that if that actually maintains. So the economics of the industry are there. For us, we we just have some of the challenges of it being a thing that we don't do as an industry here in Ohio. We're just, you know, it, it, we for better or worse are good at certain things, and we've kind of maintained those things. 
And I think that we have an opportunity to branch out and take advantage of, of this growing trend. You also, I believe in Ohio, if, if what I read is correct, uh, have uh, major universities that uh, have uh, specializations uh, in, in gaming. Not all states have those. Uh, Ohio's one of the premier states in, in that area, correct? Yeah, well, we're sitting in one of them right now. So o- OU has a, a program here. I'm a, f- a professor at Columbus State, which has a two-year associates program. Um, but yeah, just in Ohio, at the top of my head, Shawnee State, Miami, OU, um, since he's looking at doing one, Columbus State I mentioned. Um, we, from an educational side, are probably 60, 70th percentile in the country in terms of, of uh, offering programs. But the cool thing about games, too, is you look at the people that are making games now and have been making them for 20 years, like they didn't have game design degrees. Like these were um, computer right. scientists, designers, artists, musicians, uh, economists, physicists. Like it's, it's we're a weird collective of people that uh, really like this industry. But now that uh, the business is growing and there are more educational opportunities uh, I'm really excited to see like what the next generation of game designers and game developers are going to be creating now that they have time to sort of more effectively learn the craft. Uh, a lot of the earlier developers, I mean, it was really just piecemeal learning as you go. Well, if you look at uh, gamers themselves as being sort of a feeder system to uh, people who go on into game design and the business of gaming, mm-hmm. uh, you came to it late. And you're a young oh, man. You came to it late, though, compared to children now who have tablets in the crib. Uh, and oh, sure. And are, are, are technological from the get-go. Uh, yeah, I was just having a meeting with a, an old high school friend uh, yesterday, and he mentioned that his kids – he's got three boys. His kids uh, in elementary school get an iPad. All the, all the kids in school get an iPad. And then I – can't remember, sometime in either middle school or early high school, they all get a laptop computer. So it's like the school is supplying them with this technology. And now his his problem is like, how do I get them off the screen for a little bit, which is a whole other conversation. Um, but yeah, I, most people now are starting, you know, the internet age is here and they're starting right, you know, pretty much from birth. And um, even my fiance and I, we were here, I think it was last year, we were eating at Casa sitting next to a, a younger couple, probably earlier, mid-20s, and they were talking about games as if it was just a part of their life. It was like breathing. They, they'd probably right. been playing games for, forever. Um, whereas, yeah, my generation, I'm 36 uh, to mid-40s, that was kind of the start of the gaming generation with, you know, arcades and, and pinball. Sure. Um, and now it's, it's just tr- progressed into – it's in every facet of life. It's no longer a niche thing anymore. Um, and, and, and back to the, one of the things you mentioned about the business and, and just being involved, too. The other cool part about games is it, it isn't just software development. Like, we're sitting here in the communication school. Communications and PR is a huge part of the game industry. Um, community relations and development. Uh, you also have hardware and electrical engineering. Um, so there's a lot of areas that even if you don't necessarily want to be making a game, like you don't want to be a developer of a game or a designer of a game, you can be involved in the industry. Places like PlayStation and Microsoft are constantly in need for folks that can help um, in the PR and marketing and communications and, and all these other areas. So there, there's a lot of opportunities regardless of your interest or skill sets. I want to 
use you in in your expertise, Chris, to to get our listeners out of the mindset that the shorthand term games or gaming uh, gives people the image of somebody just sitting in front of a screen for hours and hours and hours playing sure. Warcraft or or Madden or something. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the term games and gaming is a misnomer. There's 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 a whole f- psychology of games and game design, and there's game theory, and there it's it's a much deeper subject than just play. Oh sure. So uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, well, unpack it as you will. Yeah. No, I think that's true. So we use the term games very broadly. Um, most of the time I'm not interested in having a conversation on what is or is not a game or is it entertainment or whatever. See, games for healthcare, games for education. Like we take that all into any sort of creative, immersive experience that requires some sort of input. So it's, it's not a movie, you know, that's kind of where I choose to draw the line. Cause I think that there's just too many opportunities to get sort of pigeonholed into something. Um, and that's something that a few years ago, I sort of, for better or worse, I'm just like, we are going to use the term games. So I'm involved in a lot of entrepreneur, small business uh, communities uh, around the state, particularly in Columbus. Um, I work with a lot of people who I'd go and I talk to them and they'd be like, well, it's this games thing. I, I call it the games tax. You know, it, as soon as you start talking about it, you can see people's eyes kind of turn off and stuff who don't understand the industry. And they'd be like, well, why don't we rename what you're doing? Why don't we kind of try to refocus it in a way? And you know, don't make it games. Make it like immersive experiences for healthcare or whatever. <laughs> I'd be like, okay. So I'd go back and I'd rework you know, my proposal or a vision or whatever. And I'd go back to these people. And they still wouldn't support us anyway. So I was like, at the end of the day, I was like, if I have to sort of drag you kicking and screaming into the future, then that's what I'm going to do. And um, I, I always use the, the Les Wexner example. I've, I've only met him once. I don't know him at all. But my guess is that he's not uh, playing video games no, during his daily activities. Not. You know, maybe he, he played, might be. Yeah, he <laughs> might be. I don't know. I'm, I'm just I'm painting with a very broad brush here. But, um, you know, maybe he played Miss Pac-Man or something in the 80s, right? Right. But he also has younger kids. I'm sure they play. He's got grandkids that uh, play. I don't need somebody like Les Wexner to be a gamer or to love video games. Just the same way that uh, this is my example is the ballet. Like I'm not really a big lover of the ballet. If somebody's like, "Hey, you want to go watch something?" I, I'd probably be like, "All right, I'm down." You know, my fiance and I would go to the Nutcracker. But I appreciate the hard work and passion and athleticism that goes into it. Like that's there's a lot of determination to do that. If I can get somebody like Les Wexner to at least appreciate the industry and understand it. I don't need them to be a gamer. I don't need them to love games. So that's kind of what I've been really focused on the past few years is, uh, like I said, the economics is there. The talent is there. We're on the forefront. You mentioned Warcraft uh, a little bit earlier. I don't think a lot of people realize how big games are. We like to talk about big data and data analytics and cybersecurity, particularly with the Equifax thing that's going on now yeah, and, and all right. that. Um, World of Warcraft at its peak had over 20 million users. I don't know where they are, but you're talking about tens of millions of concurrent users on at the same time all over the world, different speaking different languages, bank-level security, login protection, e-commerce solutions. Like, name a database in Ohio <laughs> that's being accessed by 20 million concurrent yeah. users outside of maybe Amazon, you know? Yeah. Um, so we are at the forefront of technology, and, and you bring up VR. VR is 
I mean, that is a straight-up gaming technology. Um, we use something called the Microsoft Connect. It's a motion tracking system. came out with the Xbox. We use that all the time in healthcare because it, it's accurate. Uh, it's relatively easy to develop for, and it's 150 bucks. What else in healthcare can you get for $150? Not even a shot. Yeah, sometimes. exactly. <laughs> Your Advil is going to run you that. That's so right. um, I think that we are on sort of the, not to sound too pompous or whatever, I think we're on the right side of history when it comes to this. The question is, how do we change the mindset? And and back to your uh, perception of gamers, uh, I mentioned earlier, I'm 36. The average age of a gamer is 36. Like, I just happen to be that age. Yeah. Um, average age of a game purchaser is in their early 40s. So the idea of the 16-year-old sitting there, um, you know, Doritos and Mountain Dew, that's sort of an image that's been cultivated, um, but it doesn't really reflect reality. You know, for example, uh, a little more, it's about 40, 42% of gamers are female, most people wouldn't think that right you know um and if you're in only the mobile market it's actually a a little higher so um i think that there's a lot of change that we need to do from the industry side to reflect that um i remember i gave a tedx talk uh last was that october november and uh one of the other speakers and i were having a conversation and she pretty much just like dumped on the industry it was a waste of time it's not really a career worth doing anything yada 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 and so I asked her, I was like, do you think, do you consider movies to be an art form? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, well, I'm asking you the same question. Would you consider movies to be an art form if your only experience with movies were the ads you saw on TV? And that kind of gave her a little bit of pause. And, and I think we're having, even today, I was uh, watching some YouTube stuff, getting ready for work, and a Destiny 2 ad came on. And it was like uh, Beastie Boys sabotage blaring with people running around <laughs> shooting guns. And I'm like... That's great. Like, Destiny needs to do that because they spent, like, half a billion dollars to make that game. (laughs) They got to make money. But that also removes, just similar to, like, indie music and indie movies, that removes the smaller games, like something like Gone Home, which presents itself as a horror game, which is actually a sort of uh, introspective look at a young girl's sexuality. And, And, like, there's all of these other experiences that are being created now by smaller studios um, Papers, Please is an awesome example. Came out a few years ago, which is you play the role of, and it's actually kind of timely with the DACA and immigration stuff that we have, but you play the role as, of an immigration officer in like an East, a made up Eastern European country. And you have, you have to decide based on the paperwork you receive whether to let them in or not. Um, and it, it's supposed to be sort of drawing parallels and, and giving a, a particularly Western audience an understanding of what it's like in these places for people both trying to seek asylum and the people that are trying to figure out some way of controlling their borders, you know, that that difficult task. Um, And those are just two examples off the top of my head. There's a lot of really amazing experiences coming out. And ultimately, video games are a a storytelling medium. And Mm -hmm. I believe they're the next storytelling medium. And that comes with all the benefits and negatives that any other storytelling medium has. Well, it's interesting because obviously we're exploring how to use virtual reality, augmented reality in various uh, cutting edge forms in news. And and Mm -hmm. how do we present uh, experience uh, to to, uh, customers and, and audience? And people still get hung up I, I i identify with you and people still get hung up on the word game you yep. know news is not a game well no it's not 
but you can use the gaming format to tell stories, sure. <laughs> just like games have been doing from the outset. Yeah, uh, there, there's it, a lot of power in just play. Like we, particularly when we're younger, and unfortunately we lose that. Uh, this is one of Carl Sagan's things, but the vast majority of your experiences and your education, particularly when you're younger, come from play. They come from being able to, and I don't mean running around necessarily outside, but you go to a science center and you just fool around with things. All of a sudden you're, you're learning how gravity works and fluid dynamics. And, you know, uh, uh, those are the kind of things that, you begin to pick up sort of inherently through the learning process. And yeah, I, I do not envy you as the news, uh, the challenges that you have, because I, I think you have some really good um, opportunities to do cool stuff with technology. And as far as VR goes, you know, it's it's so new. I, I mentioned Miss Pac-Man. I mean, we're kind of at the, the Miss Pac-Man level for VR. You know, look at Miss Pac-Man compared to where games are now. We're going to be very similar between VR and 10 years from sure. now what VR sure. will be. Um, and there's never been a time. VR is not new. It's It's been around forever. There's been flight sims and military sims and whatnot. But uh, this is the first time in history that like some of the world's largest companies are investing into that space. And they, they're they playing for keeps right now. And so I, I think they're because it's new and it is kind of like Wild West, we are learning things. There's very few best practices. There's very few right ways to do something. And that means there's opportunities for people in any industry to, to come and be involved. Uh, NASA's, uh, I love NASA's project about putting 360 cameras like on Mars. Right. And, and it'll, it'll beam that 360 video feed and you'll be able to put on a headset and stand on Mars and look around. Like, that's amazing. You know, maybe uh, just throwing ide- spitballing ideas for you, but like the, the ability to use drones and capture footage and then provide that as real-time you know, imagine doing real-time battlefield footage without having to have a reporter there. Like, there, right. yeah, there's there's a bunch of really cool opportunities here, and um, the people I think that are going to be successful, and, and hopefully that's you know people like us and people in this community here in Ohio that are going to be super successful are the ones that aren't going to get caught in the trappings of technology. They're going to look at technology as a way to solve a problem, regardless of if it's web or mobile or VR or whatever. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate its students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders. These leaders will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society, and by advancing the field through creative activity and research on communication concepts, issues, and problems. The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provides benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. You can learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. 
this is probably a very simplistic way of looking at it, but I see not only in news but in other use of gaming technology and, and gaming theory is that we're trying to enhance experience. And sure. if you look at media, just uh, the news media, we went about 60 years where media was monologue. We had two or three networks that gave you information. You as a consumer really had nothing to do other than turn off the channel. Uh, but you couldn't do anything. You couldn't mold that news at, at all. There was no experience. So it was monologue from the newsmakers. Uh, now we're sort of in a period of dialogue because with social media, we're learning to have conversation about everything. Sure. Uh, but that's not going to hold. I, you know, I, I think the next iteration has to be uh, media's experience. And when you get young people, as we talked about earlier, uh, having this kind of experience from the crib on, uh, it's not going to be a luxury. It's going to be a necessity. Yeah, I – I agree. I think it's going to fall somewhere in the middle. I mean, if you're asking my my humble yeah, opinion here, sure. um, I think people right now are they're just they're looking for authenticity and honesty and things that they can connect with, whether that's a community or an individual. I think that's a lot of the power of YouTube and streaming is you can find people that you know are acting their authentic selves and, and you know doing these kind of. Uh, short form entertainment pieces or right. or connection pieces um, from the news angle yeah I, I think having the one directional conversation uh, worked for a while and I, I think it is losing its footing um, ultimately the power of the news should be in the ability to sort of editorialize like be the arbiter of processing and, and distributing the right information and then turn that into a meaningful dialogue that people can participate in. If you can find a way to do, I think, those two things, um, particularly with the sort of fake news things that are going around. And um, it's just it's right now it's really hard to find like meaningful content that is honest and is trying to help shape the world in a positive and constructive way. I know in, in the health areas you, you – uh, what you're looking at is very broad, I'm sure, uh, in inter interfacing with health. But but there's even therapeutic aspects of mm -hmm. gaming in in health. Correct? Yeah. So it, you sort of hit on this a little bit earlier, but uh, games like people don't play games because they're games. People play games because they provide them some sort of meaning. It's fun or in some cases it's addictive and that's a whole other or, conversation. Or give me an experience that I could never have in my human ordinary life. For Just let me jump in <laughs> and then I'll let you go in. I mean I think one of the popularities of Madden football for God knows how many years – there's an element of, of the sporting population who want to know what it feels like, even a little bit, to be an NFL quarterback. And, sure. and you you can't do that physically if you're 5'9 <laughs> and 160. <laughs> oh, sure. I, I think that's the ultimate power of any storytelling. It gives you media. the experience. Yeah. Like w w humans are story driven 
creature. I interrupted. I'm sorry. Oh no, no worry. That that's how we've we've connected over you know our entire existence is is relaying stories and, and transferring those things. Um, the same thing could be said with books. Like you know, I there are numerous books where you go through and you read it from a perspective that like you will never have as a 21st century you know white male. There's a whole host of experiences that you just will not be able to have. So you rewind 100 years, 200 years, 500 years um, and read a book, and that can begin to sort of relate those things to you. But I think that games are beginning to come into their own. Um, And, you know, they've been around for 40 years as sort of like an actual medium that people are purchasing as consumers. We compare that to to movies, which is over 100, and, and books, which is thousands, and music, which is probably far longer than that, you know, it's still new. We're still learning. And one of the games that uh, I recently played, I think is the best example of a thing that can only be a video game. It cannot exist as a book or a movie or anything. And it's called The Witness. Um, And it it has a relatively simple premise where it's just you sort of start out on this island and you don't know why you're there. There's really no story. There's no um, narrative. There's like two pieces of information that come on screen that just tell you how to move around or whatever. And all the game is is you walk up to these like uh, line puzzles where you start at one end and you trace almost like a maze, right? But really what that game is about is the process of human learning. How do you go about learning the rule sets to the world and looking at the world in a unique way? And that game provides you information almost like you're being taught to read. You're like, okay, here's how we do here's how you write and read. It's like, okay, we know we go left to right. We know we go top to bottom. We know sentences start with capital letters. They end with periods. Then you start introducing things with commas and parentheses or whatever. It does that, but it does it through an abstraction of concepts. So there is no language. There's no, you could be in India, you could be in China, you could be in the US and play that game because it doesn't require any reading. And every time you sort of begin to parse through what's happening on that in that game on that island, you have all these aha moments where all these things just click. But that couldn't work as a movie because, like, if you got to a challenge, you were trying to figure it out, the movie has to progress, right? Like, at right, some point... Right, right, right. It, it can't slow down. It, it can't slow down. So at some point, the movie's going to solve the problem for you because the movie has to, to move. Um, but in this case, like, the game stops. If you don't figure out how to solve this thing... And, and the beauty of it is if you get stuck somewhere, you can back away and move somewhere else um so that that game was i think just a foundationally wonderful experience it's challenging it's not easy and it's not something you're going to see advertised on tv but i as a first step in what gaming can be um it's it's phenomenal like it it, it, re- it truly is amazing so listeners i would recommend the witness if you haven't gathered yet <laughs> um but but back to the research part of it. So we work with Nationwide Children's Hospital, and they came to us because uh, they work with kids with muscular dystrophy, which is a degenerative disease. You know, right. These kids are in tremendous amounts of pain. They're not getting any better. Um, a lot of them have almost no range of motion, like at all. Like they can barely hold themselves up if they can at all. And when they come in and they do these traditional therapy and research techniques, I mean, it's boring, it's painful. It literally is like physicians measuring things and looking at a range of motion. And it's not an exciting experience. So you have a bunch of kids who are, you know, all under 10, scared, in pain. They don't want to be there. So they came up with the idea, they being the researchers, came up with the idea, 
of trying to involve interactivity in games and whatnot. So we've been working with them for almost five years now on this research and therapy app that, again, uses the Microsoft Connect, so a, right. a, cheap, a cheap answer. And it, it provides this little gaming experience where the kids can interact in this environment and have fun. Meanwhile, we're tracking all of their emotion, all of their depth data, all of their uh, the normal sort of research items that would be captured. We're tracking those digitally. So the researchers don't even have to worry about stopping and writing anything down. And the hope is that because it's interactive and because it's fun, that those kids might go that little extra bit. Like even if their reach extends an inch. Like mm-hmm. That's a big deal. Like if they're able to have a controlled movement of an inch increase, like that's a really big deal. So we've been working on that project, like I said, for about five years. We're in the early stages of FDA approval on it. And it's in clinics all over the world being tested. Um, and the, the early signs look pretty good. You know, I, I don't want to speak at a turn before the, the data is fully established. Um, but it's looking like the kids in a minimum – look forward to it. Like that's, we're told constantly by the researchers that they're like, they're always trying to get through the other stuff so they, they can play the game, right? Right. And it looks like it may at least be on par, if not a little bit more helpful in maintaining their range of motion throughout their disease state. So, you know, what what we did and what we've worked on is, is taking some of these gaming concepts, which isn't like, we, we didn't just throw a game in front of them and they're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, we, we've thought through it and we're still thinking through it from a design perspective. Um, everybody's played terrible games before, you know? Sure. Um, but if you put the thought into it and you, and you try these things out, the capabilities, I think, are, are endless. And we're talking about... Um, Smart Columbus, we've got that initiative right. going on. I don't know how you all know about that. Um, big grant that was uh, gotten from the, the federal government for you know autonomous vehicles and, and that kind of stuff. And a lot of those things are taking game, like AI, quick AI, artificial intelligence. Right. Artificial intelligence in games has traditionally been rather rudimentary, but it's also been in real time, which is something that a lot of other simulations and stuff aren't been. You have to be in real time when you're playing a game. So... When you're driving an autonomous car, that also has to be in real time. It needs to make real-world decisions quickly. So a lot of these ideas are being taken from the sort of gaming world about, well, how do you make quick decisions and do analysis on your environment when that car is barreling down at 65 miles an hour? So that's just another example of kind of the weird ways that we intersect when you wouldn't think we would. Popularity of of games in in gaming, and you've talked about it and talked about the business of it. Uh, you recently had a, a Kickstarter experience, right? And, yeah, and, we did. Talk about that and and how people jumped in on 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 that. Yeah, so we had a Kickstarter for our internal game, our new game called No Mercy. Um, was that February March of, of this year? And it was successful. And man, Kickstarters are. Crowdfunding is a, is a weird place now. It's always been a weird thing. But, right. but now it's just everybody's kickstarting stuff. It becomes super challenging. I mean, for the month or so, four to six weeks leading up to the campaign, and then the four weeks of the campaign, and then a little bit later, I mean, it is like having another full-time job. Like to create a campaign is a, is a tremendous amount of work. You spend a lot of time promoting and audience building and things like that. Um, for us, you know, it was successful, so so that was good. Um, and I think that 
in our space, in the game space, and this is probably applicable to a lot of the other spaces that are being crowdfunded, um, it's becoming very crowded. And I think that there are products in that space that should not be in the crowdfunding space. Um, in video games, we're beginning to see, and I'm pretty sure it's uh, only a matter of time before we see a major, large AAA studio crowdfund something. Because we are already seeing some pretty established studios crowdfund. And you're like, first of all, I don't know if you need the money or not, but the more important thing on whether or not you have the money is that you have the ability to get the money through other sources. So small studios, we're a Sony and PlayStation partner, so we can publish and, and distribute. But I can't go to Sony and be like, hey, I've got this awesome idea for a game. <laughs> Do you want to come in and publish it half with us and, and kick in, you know, a million dollars or whatever? Right. But larger studios, mid-range studios, do have that ability. The ones that have been around for 25, 30 years, they have the ability to find funding through alternate sources. Um, and so that's an ongoing conversation in the industry is like, when are you too big or too popular? It's like the big kid playing in the sandbox. Yeah. Because, <laughs> and pushing the little kids out. Exactly. And, and just like any other thing that involves community and social engagement, um, having a big audience and, and whatnot provides a benefit on the crowdfunding platforms. Right. Um, and that's ultimately one of the things that I'm hoping to change here. Like when we talk about building an ecosystem and, and an industry, I want to be able to create a platform where small businesses and gaming and virtual reality and interactive arts, immersive tech, that kind of stuff, I, I call it creative technology. They're able to start small businesses and find the resources they need. We just opened up um, in collaboration with the Columbus Idea Foundry, the Sandbox. Mm-hmm. And that's a, um, I hate to say incubator because that word's going around a lot, but we'll call it a creative space incubator for gaming, creative technology. Uh, we have 13 members, which makes us one of the largest in the Midwest. We're hoping by the end of the year to be the largest in the Midwest in terms of number of people. But that's one part of providing this platform. And then we have our Expo GDEX, which is another part where we're exhibitors and, and, and developers can interact and network with people, not just in Ohio, but in the Midwest and bringing in people from the coast. People who are, right. I was at a GDC, the Game Developers Conference earlier this year, that's in San Francisco. You walk out the door and you talk to people and they get it, right? right. I, I, don't right. Have to, I don't have to explain for 10 minutes afterwards what my job is. I, I have meetings in the Google headquarters. I walk across right. the street, I'm at Microsoft and I go to Sony. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just a thing there. Yeah. And I think that we can get there. And if we provide the platforms to do that, we talked about education already. We already have a strong educational side. Um, between things like Sandbox and GDEX and, and, you know, the Business of Games Summit, we can sort of have that infrastructure in place. And we already have, whether you're in Columbus or Cincy or Athens, like we have a great tech infrastructure. So right. we have everything we need from that front. The, the final piece of that puzzle is always the funding, the financing. How do, you, how do you create a system that can help fund these small businesses so that these great ideas can come out of it? Um, John Bodich, uh, you know, director of the program, um, we were talking last year, and he mentioned Imgur, which is an image hosting site that a lot of people use. That was made by a couple Athens kids. Right. And, and they, they made it, and they were like, there's nothing going on in Ohio. There isn't opportunity for growth in Ohio. They moved out to the coast. That thing's worth over a billion dollars now as a company. Yeah. And you're like, that is such a missed opportunity. It's, it's a talent drain Yeah, uh, uh, to, to – 
areas where you don't need steel factories. You don't need yeah. a large uh, workspace mm-hmm. uh, with specially trained uh, uh, people to, to mold steel or whatever. It's a whole new way of looking at industry. It is. And, and we have the talent pool here. And you're right. We are. It is a brain and creativity drain. We are losing those people to the coasts. Um, and I was asked uh, earlier in an interview this week about, you know, if we're going to build an industry here, how are we going to pull the talent back from the coasts? And I was like, well, I think a lot of people are starving to come back from the coast. There's a lot of people that have been a part of our team that have gone out to either Texas or California or, or New York or whatever. Um, they would be glad to come back if the opportunities were here. But I think more importantly, like we don't need to pull people back from the coast. Like if we're creating something powerful here using the, the talented, passionate, dedicated people that we have already in our state – we're going to be just fine. And then as that grows and people begin to get excited, then maybe the people that are coming to OU and OSU and Miami from out of state, when they graduate, they'll be like, we're going to stay here. And then maybe those the imgers of the future will stay. And then all of a sudden we have a billion-dollar valuation company sitting right outside Athens, Ohio, you know? Nurture and grow. Yes, exactly. Nurture and grow. Chris, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for your time and and your expertise. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Today, we've been talking with Chris Volpe, an entrepreneur and CEO of Multivarious Games, about the exploding business of gaming and how the industry is ripe to thrive in the heartland. Spectrum is produced by WWB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or NPR One. Spectrum is also available at the NPR Podcast Directory. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, You can direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.